Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. He's a man who's going to tell you like it is. You can never be afraid of something that you don't know about. Now that's ignorance. And for us, ignorance is not bliss. He's a man who's not afraid to talk about the real issues and not skate around it. Don't you think it's about time that you got tired of where you are? I mean, you have got to be ready for God to do something for you and let him move. He's a man who loves his God, his country, and his people. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not too fond of the political state of the world, and particularly the U.S. as it is right now. But if you want change, you have to make it happen. You can't keep settling for less than what you ought to have. He's a man who's sowing seeds of life, love, and liberation to anybody who's willing to hear. There comes a point in time where everybody just needs to shut their mouth up and listen to God. And God is the one who will lead us and God is in our truth. He'll tell us everything we need. That covers every area, every facet from politics to church to you name it. God's got it covered. He's a man that seeks the heart of God for the people of God. You're listening to Zero Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Good morning, uh, hello, and welcome to Zero Today. I am your humble host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal, hailing from Cajun Land, USA, here to present you with seeds of wisdom, insight, empowerment, and liberation, holding a knowledge that is engaging and transforming, and here helping you, our listeners, empowering you, our listeners, and knowing and impacting the world around you. As always, you're welcome to join us on this illuminating journey. Uh, you can do so by uh, Subscribing to us, following us on all our social media, on Facebook page, Zero Network um, uh, Facebook page. We are on Twitter at Zero Radio is the Twitter handle for the show. Mine is Doctor uh, at Lorenzo T Neal. Um, where else are we? <laughs> Wherever we are, we are here. We invite you to continue to uh, to uh, support us and join us. Uh, as we do the show, um, if you're new to the show, if you're new to the broadcast, if you're new, you're new um, well, we're 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 all over the spectrum. <laughs> no, just kidding. Uh, we invite you to continue to share. Uh, join us as we uh, discuss topics topics that are vital or you know important, relevant, all of those things. So we try to do what we can in the areas. Of faith, family, education, politics, and especially church-related things. So that's what we're all about. Uh, we invite you to uh, uh, support us. You can be a, a patron. Uh, simply go to Patreon slash Lorenzo T. Neal, and there you can support us for as low as as low as a dollar a month. And uh, you can do that. That's one way you can do that. Um, I had 
heard I was hearing stuff in my earphones, <laughs> so I had to close out uh, something I was listening to. But anyway, uh, we have an exciting show we want to get into. You're going to talk about perils of novice pastors, uh, particularly that uh, uh, in the person of things that's been happening in the person of uh, Pastor John Smith. I mean, John Gray of Relentless Church. Um, we want to talk about that. We also a couple other things we want to talk about. Uh, came across a couple of articles. Um, that I'd like to share, I believe, would be very, uh, very interesting. So we want to talk about that and uh, touch on some uh, political issues that we're we're uh, we're passionate about. And as a matter of fact, I'm just going to lead off with that. As you know, um, on yesterday, uh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. Uh, Stated that he will allow a vote for a a bill that's called the First Act, I mean First Step bill, and the bill basically is a criminal just. I cannot talk. I can't get my thoughts together. <laughs> a criminal justice reform bill at the federal level, and this bill is following in the steps of some. Um, Legislations that have been successfully implemented in states like Georgia and Texas and a couple of places uh, where states are uh, looking at their criminal justice system in its entirety and realizing the detriment fiscally and socially that it's having on and and um, we know – this past year, a lot of things have been going forth on the federal level, particularly uh, with President Trump, as he has uh, been publicly stating his support for any such legislation that is positive regarding criminal justice reform. He met in the white in the Oval Office with Kim Kardashian. He met with uh, a group of pastors that included John Gray. We're going to be talking about later. And um, granted a pardon, I believe, to uh, the person that Kim Kardashian was advocating for as she was released from prison. Uh, he has publicly stated that he is supportive of this idea of criminal justice reform, sentencing reform, all of that, in relation to the broader part, uh, the broader picture of the opioid crisis that uh, – <laughs> Is facing Americans and um, how prisons are being overcrowded with persons who have drug addictions and mental health issues, and they're realizing that uh, those persons need not be incarcerated, but uh, need to receive care, specific care for those issues. I'm very passionate about criminal justice reform and. Uh, because I've been affected by it. I have had uh, several relatives who have been in prison, and I saw how it impacted our family directly, and um, I'm talking about immediate family members. Uh, I have been, I've never been in jail, per se. Well, I have been in jail, um, uh, not for an extended period. Uh, while I was in college, I had, it, I had this one um, issue where 
um, because I was fail I failed to complete what was it the payment plan I think I had set up or something to that nature. Anyway, I I, I was found in contempt and um, had to go to jail. <laughs> uh, I wasn't there even a whole day. Um, but the idea of being locked up was enough for me to do all I can to not get locked up, make better decisions and so forth and so on. But there are a lot of persons who uh, are in our federal prisons and in our state prisons and in our local jails who uh, should not be there, you know, some for misdemeanor crimes and some, and there are plenty who should be there. There are plenty. By no means would I ever advocate on behalf of the release of someone who has been proven to have committed a crime against another person does not deserve to be incarcerated in some capacity. But anyway, so um, that bill would be going forward and uh, would be put on the floor for a vote. It's a bipartisan bill. Uh, and yesterday I attended the Mississippi Summit on Criminal Justice Reform, and we were uh, discussing how we would like to see that happen here in the state of Mississippi. What would it look like? What should it look like? And I've been, um, as part of the Clergy for Prison Reform organization for the last three years, uh, we have been advocating for such, and uh, we've been successful in uh, initially with our uh, campaign for uh, the closure of private prisons here in the state of Mississippi that were profiting off of this and, and, and it, you know, it's across the country and we uh, I was at the federal level doing the same and uh, uh, under the Obama administration the DOJ decided to end the contract with uh, private prisons and under the Trump administration, I believe they're going back to that in some form. I don't believe it's going to be in the same capacity, but some form. But anyway, anyway, uh, as more and more Americans see uh, how unjust the justice system in America is, more Americans are crying out for uh, real justice. And we're seeing real justice come about slowly slowly but it's a start and that's all we can ask for so um in regarding to the first step act i i implore you to write to your it's already passed in the house again it, it was this bipartisan bill was passed in the house and it's on the floor of the senate now so i strongly encourage you to write to your senator your u.s senator and engage them and implore them to vote in favor of this act. Now, there are, and you can read this in the Christian Post, there are still um, Christian denominations or Christian organizations that are, uh, there's slightly a division on it, but this bill has, in its current, in its current form, has been endorsed by the National Council of Churches. Well, no, I take that back. National Council of Churches think it is not strong enough, and they are not fully committed. They they are supportive of some of it, but they didn't. They think it should go a little further. Uh, but you have the National Association of Evangelicals, Prison Re, uh, Prison Fellowship. Uh, who else? You have many many other uh, both conservative conservative and progressive liberal. Uh, 
Christian organizations, denominations, and fellowships supporting this. And you have about 80% of the country overwhelmingly supporting this, both uh, in the bipartisan poll that was done. Uh, there's a lot of support. And here in the state of Mississippi, we found uh, we had a, a national poster come and share us to share the statistics with us regarding Mississippi. And um, out of a large population sample uh, within the survey, within um, uh, yeah, within the survey, the poster dictated to us uh, that. Uh, majority of Mississippians overwhelmingly support the idea of criminal justice reform in some capacity, uh, and this overlays and overlaps political ideologies, parties, ethnic groups, races, all of it, which it says a lot. It says a lot, and I am all for it. I, I'm going to tell you the truth. I am all for criminal justice reform. Uh, how it looks varies you know you know i believe uh if you have never seen the documentary 13th on netflix you ought to go and see that because as a black man i do believe the political and judicial system has been skewed and uh favorably toward persons who are white and unfavorably towards persons of color particularly black men as far as back as uh Post um, post Civil War Civil War era and post Reconstruction era, we know here in the South definitively. We know here in the South that uh, they found ways to use black men <laughs> to steal enslaved labor, and um, they did it. They did it through their uh, law enforcement system, through the judicial system, and you know, um, so. So many black men were used to continue labor, free labor, for states here in the South. And that's changing largely because, again, and this is what I I love about our country, uh, America is changing. We're changing slowly, and I tell you, it is a fearful change. It is a scary change, and it is why so many persons like Donald Trump use the rhetoric that they do because it's not that they don't want to see change. I believe they want to see change. I believe that they're just afraid of how fast change is happening. You know, that that is a scary thing, you know. I was like that. Uh I there was a lot of things that I I I like that is happening here in the United States, but I was afraid of seeing it implemented. And you know, as a conservative, that's how you are, you know, you want to maintain the idea of what you believe should be. And the idea of progression is not that it's a bad idea or a terrible idea. It's just about how will it occur. And I believe the rhetoric that is being presented to us, particularly on the immigration issue, you know, with the wall and um, all of that, um, (laughs) the migrants and all of that, not just here in the States, but over in in Europe where they're having the same dialogue regarding migrants, uh, particularly Muslim migrants. And uh, African migrants, uh, they're having this same, this same kind of dialogue, and uh, it's terrifying to them because they they, you know, they do have those migrants that have come and 
come to their countries and committed graves, grievous crimes against humanity. Here in the States, we don't have as big a problem, but those that have been done have been amplified to the point where you will believe if you do buy into the rhetoric as some presented, you know, that terrible things will happen. I got off on that tangent, but the the, the thing about uh, the criminal justice reform that is happening here in this country is going to be reflective of the progress for black men. And hopefully, because black men are overwhelmingly uh, disenfranchised when it comes to uh, the judicial process and the judicial system. By disenfranchised, I don't mean that they don't, they don't have due process or anything like that. It's just that overwhelmingly, the legislation crafted uh, that, that crafted these laws had even uh even subjectively had black men in mind you know so and we have to we have to account for that whether we want to uh, acknowledge it or not and um so i'm hoping it'll be a positive move for the black community because when black men are in the house in the home and the families are together and there's a male in the house and they're married uh and not saying that they can't be <laughs> it can't work if they cohabit <laughs> But what I say, when you have that two-parent home, we know statistically, with empirical evidence, evidence-based, evidence-based, we know there's a greater chance for the child to do better. There's a uh, greater chance for the child to succeed. There's a lesser chance for the child to get in, involved in any type of criminal activity that will lead to incarceration. So uh, that's just my two cents on that. And um I do pray that it passes. Again, you have the opportunity to help it pass. Write to your senator, email them, let them know um, about that. Write a letter to the editor uh, stressing how important it is to you. Uh, Do all you can. And once it's passed, because I believe it will be passed, but once it's passed, let it be known. And do all you can to ensure that it is carried out as best it can be all right i'm going to take a quick break um because i gotta make a phone call um real quick uh maybe i can uh, yeah i can send them test message anyway there's another story i i saw and I really wanted to share with um, with you guys that I, I thought and there's some relation to this um, it, 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 regarding criminal justice reform, not directly related, but there's there's a relationship to it, not a uh, direct significant relationship. Uh. uh Bishop Noel Jones um, gave an interview with a uh, gave an interview with a newspaper, I believe it's Philadelphia somewhere. Let me see, pull this up real quick. With the Philadelphia Tribune, and. Um, you can find this story on the Christian Post as well as the Black Christian News Network. Uh, that's where I got this source. 
so you can go there and find the source and read the story. But here's the here's the story. This is the title of the lead. California pastor Noel Jones criticizes the black church for looking to the government to take care of us and says there are too many egos and narcissistic people tearing the church apart who need to humble themselves for there to be unity. That is the that all of that is the title. <laughs> that is the that's the headline for this particular article. And in the article, what Bishop Jones basically says is that um we have as 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 a the universal black church, we have become complicit in uh the way our community is being disenfranchised economically, socially, politically. We are complicit in it in that we have not done what we can do for our communities. And what he says, he says that um, the church is waiting for the government to do ministry it should be doing. I found that very powerful. Uh, And listen, he goes on to say, we still have self-doubt. We still are killing each other at an alarming rate, and it's happening right now in communities. He talks about prostitution. He talks about uh, drugs and all of the negative things that plight our uh, urban communities. And he says we can address it by stop looking to the government uh, and everybody else to take care of us. And he says that we are still slaves, and we take that take the opportunity. Uh, oh, he says that. Let me, let me say it again. We stop looking to the government. We stop looking to everybody else to take care of us, as if we are still slaves, and we take the opportunity that is in front of us. Now, uh, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I am in complete agreement with uh, Bishop Jones on this. I am an advocate for community empowerment. I, I believe uh, we as pastors and uh, communities of faith churches are to be the, the, the impetus for empowerment in every facet of our community, economically, politically, educationally. I'm an advocate for that. I, I you know, I I understand that we can have access to federal dollars. I have our church has a nonprofit community development cop, corporation, a CDC, and we have access to you know we can write money, write grants, and get grants funded. Uh, and and we've done that. We've had uh, funding for some things that um, uh, you know I believe have been in. Uh, well, I'm not just believe. I know have been beneficial to the immediate community where our church is. You know, I'm talking about the two to three blocks that affect uh, where our church is located. We have done things that have directly impacted them positively. For uh, there's a high school uh, just a couple of blocks from the church. There are several. Um, there are at least three. Um, um, board boarding homes for men within walking distance of the church. Uh, I, again, we have been empowered, you know, and we have done what we needed to do, and we're continuing to try to do what we can do to improve the state of affairs of those who are within our reach. And that's why, you know, they've been doing that before I came here. 
before I came to the church, and they have that they have that heart. But you know, they, at the same time, they they were seeing the crime, and so there were some things we had to cut back on as a church because, you know, I have a a, a, a large group of seniors in my in my church member and congregation. And so, you know, there are a lot of things that we had to address that were directly uh, concerning them uh, regarding the violence. You know, our church has been broken in before cars have been broken in while we were in worship service or funerals, you know, uh, you know, we had an incident where a young man playing in the playground across the street from the church uh, injured himself with a gun, (laughs) you know, a teenager and so those are the things that, as a pastor, I am directly concerned about because it directly affects those who are within reach of our ministry. So we have made it a point as a congregation that we are a community church. We are the New Bethel Community Church, and we are partnering with the Head Start Center. We are partnering with the um, uh, other church agency and the local agencies to do what we can. To, to bring our community plight up, even so much so as, uh, you know, contributing to clean it up. We have a young lady who lives on the corner where the church is located, or the street where the church is located, and she uh, has taken upon herself to make sure that the streets are clean. She goes and walk, and occasionally the youth will go with her, but we have recognized her, acknowledged what she does uh, before the church and say, this is who she is, this is what we're doing, this is what we're going to do, contribute to help her. We've done so financially. As of course of course we fed her. <laughs> and she has and she has set out the model of what we believe our community could look like. Because she purchased a home that was uh blighted. She literally brought it back to life. It's one of the most beautiful homes in the block. On the block. And then we have a young man and his family who purchased uh, a home that was, again, blighted, and they have brought life back to our street. And um, on a corner, we have been working to make sure that the weeds are up. You know, we, 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 the men of the church were doing – they were maintaining uh, uh, lawn yards – grass, mowing grass that was not even the church's property, but because we wanted the church and and the entire street to look good, they were taking it upon themselves to do that. And so I believe wholeheartedly, I believe wholeheartedly that this is something that the church should do. And yes, you can have, if you have a nonprofit 501c3 and you have uh, the means of accessing funds both federal and private, to do so, then by all means do so. But do not let those funds dictate your ministry. And you be empowered. I mean, because our ancestors did more with little. I'm still amazed at how our people did what they did. I I think about the story of the founder of African Methodism, uh, Richard Allen, all that he did to empower the people through the Free African Society. And later, how he used his wealth, his own wealth, to buy back his own church. <laughs> you know, and they had so little, you know, paying a dollar for church dues was like paying 
$1,000 in tithes or $100 in tithe money. But $5 over a year was a lot of money. <laughs> oh, Lord, have mercy. Anyway, let me uh, take this break and um, get into the subject and the primary topic of the day. And that is the topic of uh, Pastor John Gray and particularly the perils of novice pastors. You know, if you're a new pastor, what should you avoid? What are the pitfalls you should avoid? If you're a new pastor, if you're a novice pastor, what should your ministry look like? That's what we want to talk about. So uh, join us. We'll be back right after this break. direct rates. Great deals for real. And our competitors' rates side by side, so you know you're getting a great deal. Even the moolah. As you can see, sometimes progressive isn't the lowest. Not always the lowest. Jamie, what are you doing? I'm being your hype man. No, we said we wouldn't do it. I'm sorry, we were talking about savings. I liked his way. Cha-ching! Talking about getting that money. Talking about getting that money. Savings Talk worth the hype. Now that's progressive. And at Progressive, we let you compare Progressive Direct Rate. Yeah, at first I thought it was just the stress of moving. Hey, who's using that? Think we own stock in the electric company? I will turn this car around right now. There's nobody back there. I was becoming my father. <clears throat> it's been an adjustment, but we're making it work. You know, Progressive.com makes it easy for us to get the right home insurance. Progressive can't protect you from becoming your parents, but we can protect your home and auto. Welcome back to Zero Today. Again, I'm your humble host, Pastor Lorenzo O'Neill. And today, we are talking about Pastor John Gray and the perils of novice pastors. Um, you may recall we did a show. Uh, well, I don't know if we did a show. I don't know if I talked about it or wrote about it. I can't remember. You know, short-term selective memory. But anyway, Pastor John Gray is a... Uh, uh, 
He's a popular uh, Christian pastor, a pastor of a relentless church in North Carolina, and uh, he came to prominence as a uh, associate pastor with under Bishop, the uh, uh, late Bishop Eddie Long. He served there, and then he was hired to on staff as one of the assistant ministers or pastors at uh, Lakeview Church, Lakewood Church, uh, Joel Osteen's church, and he served there. He rose to prominence uh, as one of the co-hosts of the television daytime talk show, The Preachers, along with Dr. Jamal Bryant and um, Dr. Dewey Smith, and I can't recall the other uh, young man, preacher's name, but anyway, so he was part of that show, and he gained uh, national prominence, um, and now he has a show of his own, uh, uh, I can't think of the title of it, but it's on the OWN Network. And he, you know, he's got garnered a large following, both on social media and um, outside of social media. And he, you know, he's built himself a reputation as a very sensitive, caring, generous, giving man and preacher, and also very comical from what I understand. Uh, um, so anyway, he's been in the news just about <laughs> uh, all year. He's been in the news. At one point, he was in the news because of the statement he made. Then he was in the news because he was with he met with Trump uh, along with those other pastors. Then he made the news again for um, something he said on a television show, uh, one of those daytime shows. Then he made news again um, most recently with his uh, church, the first of December um, or the last of November, whenever it was. He invited those persons who were in need to simply come up um, and take money out of the offering baskets. And, um, you know, that made headlines again, some praising him for it, some criticizing him for it. Um, whatever it was, it was. Um, if the, it was indeed a noble act, I can tell you that much. Um, I wouldn't have done it. <laughs> Not like that. I, I I, I would have done it. I just not would have. I would not have done it the way he did it. But anyway, there's neither here nor there. Um, so he has now made headlines again in the Christian uh, news circuit because on the eighth anniversary of he and his wife's uh, wedding and vow renewal, they you know had a nice gala apparently, and in. Um, during that moment, he brought his wife out, and there's a video of that. I, I don't know. You can find it on social media. But anyway, he brings his wife out, and he uh, gives to her, presents to her her new vehicle, which is a $200,000 luxury Lamborghini. And um, I'm sure people would not have known it had he not said, as he was you know, proudly displaying in the moment, hey, this is a Lamborghini or something to that nature. I've only watched it in peripherally, so I, I don't know all of it. However, <laughs> uh, there's been plenty of commentary about this. Um, and here's here's the thing. The argument is, the counter-argument I'll be presenting, you know, uh, I think I two or three different arguments and counter-arguments to this, uh, is that it comes across as being hypocritical because, you know, he just 
allow those persons who are in need to get from to take from the basket. And then he comes and flaunts his wealth. Um, he uh, allegedly flaunts his wealth by uh, this great act of love and generosity to his wife. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, you know, I am not mad at Brother Gray for this wonderful act. I'm sure if I was married, if I were married and I had a wife, I would love to do a wonderful gesture such as that. And I probably wouldn't be a Lamborghini, but it'd definitely be a Cadillac. <laughs> if I had the means and if I had the wife, and if it was a significant event, you know, um, a birthday, a significant birthday, uh, or, you know, a milestone, something to that nature, she would certainly receive something, uh, something like that for me. Uh, not like that, but something significant for me, from me. It would be a, a gift that I would love to uh, share, uh, share praise to her and and show off to everybody else. So I can't blame the brother for doing that. And I'm not going to knock him at all because I believe that was a wonderful gesture. And you can see by her her response how how um, surprised she was. And <laughs> I'm sure she's very grateful. Um, but it's just, it seems to contrast uh, what he did last, uh, last week or week before last, whenever it was. But anyway, so there, there, there's there are arguments people are making. The primary argument is that, of course, you know, here uh, they are showing that they are wealthy, and I don't know the state of his congregation. Uh, I know that it is a multi-ethnic congregation. Uh, nobody's. It seems like there are a lot of black people in there. I don't know, but I know it is multiracial. Um, I'm quite sure it's intergenerational, and I'm not sure as to uh, the social economic status of the the church overall. But uh, before Pastor Ron Carpenter left, it was you know they were fairly wealthy. The carpenters were fairly wealthy. The church was fairly wealthy. So is you know it is what it is on that sense. You know, so I I think him giving her a Lamborghini was a bit excessive. And uh, <laughs> but like I said, I probably would have gotten my wife. <laughs> you know, if I were the same estate, I would have gotten her a Cadillac. And that's only because you know it's a good preacher vehicle. <laughs> she may have wanted a Mercedes, but like, no, nah, sister, you ride this down the Cadillac because the Cadillac is the car of the black preacher man. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so the idea. That you know they are, are he he gives this generous gift to his wife. The counter argument is that you know the pastors you know pastor and his wife and the family should reflect um, the motto of Jesus and Paul as interpreted in Scripture. Now we know regarding Paul, you know Paul was bivocational. He you know he was a tent maker by trade and. And um, he was a preacher, you know, uh, by trade also. But it, when you read in Second Corinthians in particular, chapter 8, chapter 9, you read where he didn't want to be a burden to the persons that who was those persons who were supporting his ministry. He was not 
denying them the opportunity to support his ministry, but he was also not uh, simply saying that I'm going to use, you know, you're my generous benefactors and I'm not going to do anything. Uh, (laughs) You could just, whatever I need, you just sow the seed. (laughs) I'm going to use that. Whatever I need, just sow the seed. You just sow the seed. No, I don't. um, And so there's some who are arguing that, you know, it's okay for, I know black folk would tolerate their pastor buying a new Cadillac, maybe even Mercedes, uh, I, uh, what is another? Uh, Jaguar, those luxury Lexus, Jaguar, Mercedes, Cadillac. You know, I, I think those are the the type of vehicles that that kind of you know somewhat expected. You know, Lincoln back in the day, because <laughs> you had Lincoln, you were just as bad as you had a Cadillac. Uh, so, um, so the the thing is, is that. They should be reflecting the humility of Jesus of Nazareth and Paul, who in Scripture, both uh, Jesus was a carpenter by trade. Now, by the time he entered his itinerant ministry, we don't know what type of uh, employee he had uh, other than traveling and preaching. But we do know that he had some very wealthy benefactors. There are a lot of persons who uh, allowed him to stay with them, you know. Uh, Nicodemus, uh, who else? Uh, some Pharisees allowed him to stay at their homes. Uh, Peter, who apparently, when you know, when they were on the off season of ministry work, uh, allowed him to stay at his home. Um, and you can read throughout the gospel accounts of other persons who were very benevolent towards uh, Jesus and his disciples. And we know that we know that they were very supportive of his ministry because he had a treasurer. Judas of Iscariot, who was the keeper of the bag. <laughs> and uh, when the woman uh, broke the expensive jar of oil, uh, he recalled, you know, he's, we read where he said, you know, this money could have been used. We could have done some ministry with this. Could have bought you a Learjet. <laughs> we could have given it to the poor. And she said she got what she got because where her heart is. She did what she did because of where her heart is. Um, so there's that that argument that by putting on this, this display of luxury that he is not reflecting the authentic ministry of humility. And there's you know there's an argument can be a secondary argument to that that can be made that um and that you know he's using his multiple streams of income to either lease the car, purchase the car, right? We don't know, and it's none of our business anyway. Uh, there, there are those who counter that argument by saying, no, the people are paying for that. You know, the church members are paying for that. And there, uh, from my research and my reading, he has multiple streams of income. He has written materials that has been published, so he has income from that. He is receiving a salary of some kind from Relentless Church. He is still, from what I understand, receiving a salary of some kind from uh, Joel Osteen's church. And whenever he does outside speaking engagements, of course, there's uh, you know there's honorariums that come with that. So it's not that he cannot afford it, you know, because again, he's a high profile preacher. So when you're high profile, you're in demand. And you know you you are guaranteed to have that income coming in, so you know 
the church members giving towards his salary is is one thing. So yes, they are contributing to it. And the argument uh, that I make because I am a full time pastor and I do not work outside of the church. And all of what I get comes from the church, either through my direct salary or through gifts of benevolence from members, you know, who might type in on the shoulder and say, hey, pastor, here's some for gas, buddy. Pastor, here's some for, you know, for lunch. <laughs> you know, and I, I'm gracious for uh, their benevolence to me. And I, in turn, try to be benevolent towards others because of what I receive. And But I'm also a giver. And. I tie to myself, you know, I tie to myself and I tie to the church. Um, when I say tie to myself, I just mean that I'm learning the habit of setting aside, you know, building up wealth for me because I'm, I'm going to need it. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to need it. I'm not, I don't have guaranteed retirement <laughs> per se. <laughs> Whatever I put in my annuity in my retirement when I retired is what I will get when I get out. But anyway, so. But, you know, the argument as to why he did it, uh, uh, why if he should have done it at all, that that doesn't necessarily concern me. I mean, I'm not married for one, so I don't have the privilege of share, sharing, you know, uh, doing all the big acts of love towards someone else. <laughs> but, uh, but I want to argue from the perspective of a new pastor. He's a new pastor. He's a novice pastor. And... This is just me. I believe this is one of the pitfalls that he has fallen in as a new pastor. First, trying to impress too many people. <laughs> trying to impress too many people by showing that he can do what he can do. Um, I, I think the act last, whenever it was with the offering, I, I think it was noble. I think it was well-intentioned, but it also was trying to garner a favor with the people to show that, hey, I'm not here to take advantage of you. And that's great. That's great, but when you have, you know, in this age right now, even acts such as that come across in an egregious manner because it doesn't come across as genuine. The moment may be genuine. The act may be genuine, but it's the perspective of others. And not that he probably should be concerned about perspective of others, but uh, when you do this one time, uh, folk will go come back like, oh, I wonder if he's going to do it this Sunday. I'm going to come to the church because he letting folk get money. You know, <laughs> I'm going to join his church because I know I'm in need and they always going to do something. And, and I, I ran into that, that pitfall as a young pastor. And we didn't have a lot. At one, you know, I've, I've had the privilege of pastoring several churches over the last 20 plus years uh, in the Baptist church. And in uh, the Methodist Church, the Amy Church, and I, I know what it's like to have to try to prove yourself that you can do what you can do and that you're not out for anything, any uh, filthy lucker, that you're out for, you know, you're out to do what you want to do for the heart of the people. You do what you do because you have a heart for the people. But the problem is so many times, you know, uh, <laughs> you find yourself doing too much too soon. And the people might like it first, and then they'd be like, you know, it quickly become disillusioned because it is inconsistent. So I think part of the problem with the 
the offering thing is that now he has to be consistent in this thing. You know, it's going people are now expecting him to do this regularly in some capacity. It may not be every Sunday, may not be every every year uh, or something, but there's going to be expecting something like this to happen on behalf. You know, now that he's done this and it's public, and people know that they got money enough to just give away. That's that's just it's gonna it's gonna come back up to bite him. Maybe not big bite, but it's gonna be a bite. Uh, and second thing is uh, this pitfall of uh, new pastors, novice pastors that I have made and others have made and John Gray is making is um, when you take advantage of the cult of personality, what you can what you come to discover is people start trusting you. And not the Lord in you. I found this um, not as a pastor per se, but as an associate minister. I found myself uh, looking toward the leadership of my pastor and overlooking moral failings or overlooking uh, some financial failings, overlooking a lot of stuff because I wanted to be like my pastor as a young preacher. So when I started preaching and started when I started pastoring, even in the interim, in the interim pastoral ministry that I had, I tried to do what I saw my pastor do or pastor I admired do, and it it didn't backfire, but it didn't have the same effect. You know, it didn't raise my status any higher. Matter of factly. Uh, most of what I have done in my pastoral ministry has largely gone overlooked, and it doesn't bother me anymore. You know, it used to bother me. I'm like, I'm doing all of this stuff. I'm doing all of these works. I'm doing all of this, and ain't nobody paying attention. So what about the time I was pastoring and we only had 40 people, and here we are giving out hundreds of turkeys, you know, or 100 turkeys in the community, and nobody, you know. What about the time, you know, we did this and doing, uh, I, I used to, I used to be like, oh, ain't nobody paying attention to what I'm doing. I'm doing this not to get attention, but I want you to pay attention. So please pay attention. <laughs> and, and, and at the heart of it is a selfish sense of I'm doing this for God and I know God looking, but you need to be looking too. And to a degree, you know, in this world right now, especially with the encouragement of ministries being on social media uh, or uh, magnifying or amplifying their presence in social media, uh, using social media to the advantage of the ministry, it, it can be dangerous because people will only see you in a limited capacity. They won't see you and they will not want to see you. Any in the other capacity, they won't, they will not want to see you outside of what you do. And to a degree, that's good. Uh, but in this modern world, anything we do can and will be used against us <laughs> outside of the court of law. And, you know, and we just have to be my, more mindful. Uh, the other thing, novice pastors often the biggest trap. Novice pastors often fall into, and and I I guess this is kind of like a secondary point to what I stated before: doing too much too fast. Um, we want to 
uh, no, not when I when I was appointed to my current uh, church, I understood um, the status of the church and what you know in our church and our and <laughs> our faith community ranking church rankings is important. So if you you know what rank your church is determines what rank the bishop will see you in. <laughs> and I know it's sad, but you know, I went from a low ranking church to the number one ranking church. He's a lead pastor of the district. And um with that came with a lot of sense like you better know what you're doing. I done made you the pastor. You better make make me look good. <laughs> but but what I came to discover is that I had to move the people to be ready to move. Um, but what I mean by that is I had a lot, you know, I had this great vision. And I went in prayer. And the Lord revealed to me what, you know, I impressed upon me what uh, needed to be done at the church. And when, you know, when I wrote it out, the broad vision, I knew we couldn't do it at one time. Uh, but I impressed upon my congregation that we could begin to work. And here it is nearly eight years later, I'm seeing um, most, most, a lot of what I, 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 I saw and it was impressed upon me to do, I'm seeing has been done. And there's still more to do. But a lot of preachers, you know, especially novice pastors, you know, they want to do so much in that first year, their second year. And I learned you're not the pastor, especially in, in the Methodist tradition. You're you're not the pastor of that church for a while. <laughs> you know, uh, you may be the pastor in in on paper, but you're not the pastor. You're, you're not the pastor. You've got to learn to be a pastor. You have to gain the trust of the people to be a pastor. And for those in congregational churches, it's even even more <laughs> so. Uh, you may be the pastor, but the people may have the power. You know. Uh, there are influences within congregations, and you have to influence the influencers to be the pastor. Sometimes that can take up to five years before they recognize you as pastor. You know, before they say you're my pastor. And I, I, I have a member to this day. <laughs> uh, it wasn't until um, preached outside of the local church, and she was like. That's my pastor. You know, I did such a wonderful job in her mind, in her eyes, in her perspective that she could finally say, that's my pastor. And she was always saying, yes, that's my pastor. But then she was saying, no, that's my pastor. Uh, So when you do too much too fast, if you try to do too much too fast, you lose, you have the possibility of losing the trust of the people to the vision that God may have impressed upon you because you want to do it so fast. And, and, and again, there's good to have zeal for God after righteousness and after knowledge, but zeal for ministry can go, can backfire on you. It really can. And I think this last little thing here, uh, Novus pastors, you must, it's the pitfall of pride. The easiest thing Whenever you come into a new appointment, a new pastoral charge, 
the easiest thing, especially if it's already established, like uh, that which uh, uh, Pastor Gray, you know, when you walk into an, an established church that is already prosperous, you know, already has the, the numbers, you already have the people, you already have the human capital for ministry, and you already have the uh, fiscal capital for ministry. It is very easy to get caught up in the pitfall of pride, which why I believe he may have done this act with the uh, the offering. Again, you know, to say that I'm not proud, you know, I'm not acting proud, you know, and he stated, I believe, in his comments that, you know, too often people give to the church and the church doesn't give back, and he afforded those persons who are in need to come and receive from the church. Um, and that's great and, and, and noble. Uh, the pitfall of pride is that you can become the person that you never thought you would be and not see it. You can become uh, arrogant, narcissistic, and you're the only one who doesn't see it because you're seeing what is being done and attributing it to yourself. And by attributing it to yourself, God does not give glory. The article, the counter article to this uh to the story of John Gray giving his wife luxury vehicle, um, the counter article you can find that in uh, Christian, uh, the Christian Post, uh, was written by a person who stated that um, that Christ cannot be glorified when men are celebrated. God cannot be glorified with men to celebrate. Uh, this also came up in the incident where a pastor, uh, I want to say in Jacksonville, Florida, you know, having his anniversary, and they had an event at the church on the church grounds, and they were charging so much for it. And they had VIP uh, HB Charles, I believe that's his name. But anyway, there were there were people saying that. He was taking advantage of the poor because the poor couldn't afford tickets to his event celebrating his ministry, his anniversary, or whatever. And, you know, there may be grounds for that argument. But the overwhelming thing um, is that when we do things, we should all do it in crisis. The author of Colossians writes, let everything be done to the glory of God's Christ. I think it's first in Colossians 3 somewhere. Anyway, that's just my two cents. I am I'm, I celebrate ministry when people are doing ministry, and I believe John Gray has a heart for ministry. And by him being a new pastor, uh, you know, this is just one of the many learning steps. And by him being a high-profile new pastor, uh, it's just one of the many things he's going to have to learn. He may have to step back, you know, to really, really, really gain the. Um, the respect that he desires, if he if that's the case, I don't even know. He may not care, you know. He may not want to stay step back, you know. To him, you know, all these people who are detractors and haters can just you know go where, you know where. <laughs> that may be the case, but for pastors like myself and others who are don't have the big name, don't have the big membership, and don't have all that, and you're coming into a new pastoral ministry, be humble for one. Be humble. Be available, be prayerful, be giving, and I guarantee in in all of those things, if you're all of those things, you'll have a very, very prosperous ministry. 
And maybe then the Lord will prosper you financially where you can get your own luxury vehicle. <laughs> it is what it is. Hey, I've run out of time. I got to get out of here. I want to invite you again to like the page. Go to um, go to our Facebook page. Uh, follow us on Facebook at uh, Zero Network. Follow me there on my personal page. Also, yeah, we invite you to support us. Uh, you can support the show, support what I do by becoming a patron on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash Lorenzo T. Neal, and you'll see what you'll be able to uh, support us for as little as a dollar a month. And um, the more you give, the more things we offer to you. So we're just grateful for all of you and grateful for this opportunity. Uh, we wish you well. We're going to get out of here until next time. Uh, stay in the blessings of the Lord. And this is Dr. Lorenzo Neal. Heading out until we see again. I'm out. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.